morning maple grove. <laughs> we're gonna, we, we rewind that. None of that happened, all right? All right? Uh, but one thing I've always encouraged is for people to spend time reading God's Word. And we've called that faith comes from hearing. And the reason is because reading your Bible one on one time with God alone is one of the keys to spiritual growth. You see, spiritual growth is not meant to be some kind of great mystery. It really comes down to what you could call the law of association. Have you ever heard of that? Here's what the law of association says. We become like what we look at longingly, lovingly, and continually. We become like what we look at longingly, lovingly, and continually. Uh, you can also call it the, you know, the law of exposure. You know, when you expose yourself to something for a period of time, it, it has an effect on you. Um, when I was in the Navy on a submarine, there were times when we would shut the reactor down and we'd go in and do some repairs and we would have to uh, wear a pocket dosimeter and make sure that we weren't in there too long because you're around radiation and you don't want to get exposure, right? And, and just being near that would cause me to have exposure. And so the law of association, here's some scriptures that kind of speak about it. Walk with the wise, Proverbs 13, 20, and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. They ever experienced that? That was me in high school right there. First um, Corinthians 15, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. On the opposite side, good company, and, and I would contend that the God's word is good company, builds good character. And then Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. The law of association. They spent time with Jesus. Jesus is the word, and the way we spend time with Jesus today is by being in the word of God, right? Reading the word on a regular basis. And so I will always encourage you guys to spend time in God's word to associate with God so that you can become spiritually mature. And I would contend, no, the Bible would contend, and back me up on this, you cannot be spiritually mature in Christ if you do not spend time reading God's Word. How can you know Jesus is the Word if you do not spend time in the Word? Get it? Good. Now for the thought from our devotion this week in Exodus chapter 20, we read these words. Begin to verse 1. Uh, then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, do not have other gods beside me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or in the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sins and third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not have, do not make, do not bow down, bow only to God. And Jesus said this when tempted by the devil about worshiping something other than God. Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10, and again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And this week when, you know, I read Exodus 20 in our Bible plan on the Version app, there's a talk it over section and sometimes people make comments and part of what I wrote was this. I wrote, um, I am not to have any guys beside you, but do I? Do your people at Maple Grove have any gods besides you? Lord, help me to see and remove anything that comes before you in our lives. Amen. Question, do you have any gods besides the true God? Like, is there anything else you bow down to worship other than God? And is it a big deal to worship something other than God? Well, God says, you know, I, I will punish the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And so worshiping other gods is a way that we actually hate God. And as I read this, I was reminded of a really good book. I, you know, I, I get no money for this, but uh, Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Gods at War. Um, defeating the idols that battle for your heart. And in this book, like, because we think of idols, like, hey, we're not making some golden calf in our backyard and staring at our belly button and say, um, or something like that, right? But he talks about the God of food, the God of sex, the God of entertainment, the God of money, the God of achievement, the God of romance, the God of family, and our all-time favorite God, the God of me, right? The God of yourself. A couple quotes from that book. As we consider, do we have idols, things we worship? He writes, where is your sanctuary? Where do you go when you're hurting? Let's say it's been a terrible day at the office. You You come home and you go where? To the refrigerator for comfort food like ice cream? To the phone to vent with your most trusted friend? Do you seek escape in novels or movies or video games or pornography? Where do you look for emotional rescue? The Bible tells us that God is our refuge and strength, our help in times of trouble. So much so that we will not fear, though, that mountains fall into the heart of the sea. That strikes me, he writes, as a good place to run. But it's so easy to forget. So easy to run in other directions. This is so powerful right here. Where we go says a lot about who we are. The high ground we seek reveals the geography of what we truly value. Just one more quote. God declines to sit atop an organizational flow chart. He is the organization. He's not interested in being president of the board. He is the board. And life doesn't work until everyone else sitting around the table in the boardroom of your heart is fired. He is God. And there are no other applicants for the position. There are no partial gods, no honorary gods, no interim gods, no assistance to the regional gods. God is saying this not because he's insecure, but because it's a way of truth in this universe, which is his creation. Only God owns and operates it. Only God designed it. And only God knows how it works. He is the only God who can help us, direct us, satisfy us, and save us. 
Understand, this having no God except the one true God, this worshiping and serving God only is, it's not some minor issue. Pepper Grove, God delivered us out of, God rescued us. We are His. And we live in a world that is full of idols. They're everywhere. As I already said, food, sex, entertainment, money, success. Interestingly, today in our reading, we read Exodus 23. But I want you to really think about it this week. You know, is there something you worship more than God? Or something you run to more than God? Is there some place you seek comfort from more than God? Is there something you put more time, effort, and energy into more than God? And we read this morning, as, as God is talking to his people, he says this in Exodus 23, verse 24. You must not bow down to their gods, the gods around them, or worship them. Do not imitate their practices. Instead, demolish them and smash their sacred pillars to pieces. Worship the Lord your God, and he will bless you. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence. You're great and you're powerful. You rescued us. You delivered us. We are yours. We are bought with a price. And God, I, I pray that, God, that you will cause each of us to really think, is there something we value more, look to more than we look to you? And God, if there's something in our life, be it sex or entertainment or money or achievement or romance, popularity, or even ourselves. God, I, I prayed that we would smash it and demolish it and worship you and you alone. And God, I pray for us in the next few minutes, Lord, as we just study your word together. I, I pray we'll have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts ready to respond to you. And God, I ask you would help me to Speak in a way that brings you honor and you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. For the, the last few weeks in our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew, we've been doing a deep dive into Matthew chapter 10, Jesus' mission discourse. In this chapter, Jesus, in this chapter, after being with Jesus for a year, after him speak on and about the kingdom, after seeing him heal disease, cast out demons, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, and calm the wind and the waves. After all this, Jesus called 12 guys and says, hey, I don't want you just to be my disciples. I want you to be my apostles, my ambassadors, my envoys, my official representatives to become my sent out ones. Yeah, Matthew chapter 10 Jesus is telling his 12 guys, hey, it's time to go. It's time for you to go out for me and do your mission thing. But before he sends them out, he gives them some instructions. And, and listen, though these instructions in Matthew 10 are for these specific guys, for this specific period of time, nevertheless, there are principles that apply to you and I today as we go out in the world with the message of the kingdom, with the gospel, with the good news that our lost, hurting, broken world so desperately needs to hear. And that's what we've been doing for the last few weeks. Uncovering some of Jesus' it's time to go principles. And here's the ones we've uncovered so far. And I pray that 
I pray that we will take these instructions and, and know that we includes me. Like I'm almost as messed up as you are, right? <laughs> almost. <laughs> More so, actually. But when I say we, I'm not talking at you. I'm talking with you, right? Because I, I pray that, that we'll take these instructions of Jesus seriously about going out for him. Because if we do, if you do, if I do, if we do, forever will be changed. And let's be honest. We haven't, done, we haven't done so good with these instructions so far, right? I mean, I'm not seeing a parade of people coming here getting saved all the time. Are you? Right? Let's be honest. So I would contend we're not doing so good, which means we can do better. Amen? Question number one is, going out is an answer to the prayer of Jesus. He told us to pray for harvesters because the harvest is plentiful. Hey, are there hurting people in our world? Are there struggling people in our world? Are there lost people in our world? Are there hopeless people in our world? The harvest is plentiful. It's all around us. Going out is our call too. Because being a Christ follower is not simply about knowing Jesus. It's about making him known. Going out with others is essential. Going does not require that you be a superstar. Just ordinary and average. Uh, and we had been sent out with instructions. And, you know, I really went over and over again that this Greek word for instruction is, is very comprehensive and layered it, and intentional. It, it's a word of military command. We have no choice but to obey. It's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a judicial word. A legal obligation, like a summons to court. It's a, it's a medical prescription, like you've had surgery and the doctor says, hey, here's what you need to follow these instructions if you don't have this surgery again in another year. And Matthew chooses intentionally because that word, it, it captures the three offices of Jesus. He is the commander, he is the judge, and he is the great physician. If we want to follow orders, if we, if we want to be acquitted, if we want to get well spiritually, then we need to obey. It's time to go to principle number six. We've been sent out to the lost beginning where we already are. Again, we can complicate our mission to the point we don't do anything rather than starting right where we are with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, classmates, neighbors with people that God has already placed within our sphere of influence. And, and what we've been asked, what I've asked you and me to do is until the end of the year to focus on one person that's in your sphere of influence, one person. And not to the exclusion of others, right? But say, I'm going to pray for this one person every single day that God will give me an opportunity to share my faith with them so they can know the love of Jesus and find life and life eternal in him. I even ask some people, hey, set an alarm to remind yourself. And they help, right? Because sometimes my alarm goes off. I don't know why it's going off. I go, oh, gosh, I'm supposed to pray. And my guy is Paul. It comes up, John 3, 16, Paul. Oh, my gosh, I got to pray for Paul. God, help me this week to have opportunity with Paul. Help me to see him walking his dog. Help me to take advantage of that opportunity. Are you praying for one? 
Yes or no? And here's a prayer I, I kind of threw together. Lord, I pray that you will give me the wisdom, the opportunity, the courage, and the urgency to know when and what to say so that Paul, you fill in your name, will come to know your love and surrender you as their Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. And those six, first six principles were covered on the 6th and 13th of August. And Last week, we, we uncovered just one principle, principle number seven. We're to go declaring and displaying the kingdom. We're to go both declaring the kingdom and, and, and displaying the kingdom. And we're to go with a simple and clear message, the gospel. Always being careful not to be sidetracked by secondary issues. <coughs> And listen, every issue is secondary compared to the gospel. Amen? Every single one. And here, here's a couple of quotes from last week that, that are worth repeating. When we move away from preaching the gospel, the preaching against the symptoms of its absence, we're not helping lost people come to Christ. We, we know by that, Right? We're preaching against this and against this and against this, right? I'm not saying we don't ever do that, but primarily we lead with the gospel, right? What the lost needs to hear is the gospel. They don't need to hear that this sin is wrong and that sin is wrong. They need to hear that Jesus loves them, died for them, and has a plan and purpose for them. Two more quotes. Oh, yeah, first one of the two. Constantly railing against the symptoms of a Christless worldview seldom wins people to Jesus, right? Doesn't work doesn't work. And then our task is not become expert at preaching about all that is wrong in the world. We get good at that, right? But rather become expert at preaching about all that is right with God in Jesus. Amen? And again, I'm not saying that we never speak out against sin. I'm not saying that at all. There's a time and place to expose sin and false doctrine. Church did it a lot in the New Testament. Most of the time, you know, they you know what they got in the face about sin about the most? Was it the world or the church? Church, right? You know, because when we expect non-Christians to act better than Christians, we're, we're twisted, right? You know, yeah, yeah, the church got called a whole lot more for the way they're living. What the world needs to know is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We got to keep first things first. The gospel is of first importance. And we're to go displaying the kingdom. We declare it and we display it. And we display it how? By the way we love each other. The way we treat each other should be different. People go like, whoa, wow, they, they really love each other. And the way that we live our lives puts the kingdom on display. I mean, God intends for the world to look at you and I and say, I didn't know life could be lived like that. That's how you're supposed to treat other people? That's how you respond to hurt? That's how you react to criticism? That's how you deal with crises? That's how you respond when you're wrong? That's what a healthy marriage is supposed to look like? That's what a husband's supposed to be? A wife, a child, a parent? We're to put the kingdom on display by the way we live out our lives. And that brings God's glory. If we look just as messed up as the world, 
doesn't work. And then we also put on display by the compassion that we demonstrate. And again, they're the first seven. It's time to go principles. We're actually going to uncover three today, believe it or not. In Matthew 10, 8 through 15. I'm going to read the text. Lean into it. And then we're going to take two to welcome those around us. All right? Here's Jesus talking to his guys. They're getting ready to go. He's got some instructions. He's our commander, the judge, the great physician. Uh, do not take any gold or silver or copper with you in your belt. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff. For the worker's worth is keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. The home's deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. May God bless the reading of his word and let's kick it up and take two and welcome them those around us. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word, uh, speak to us clearly, uh, we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here, here's the, the eighth principle is we are to trust in God's provision. Jesus said, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff for the worker is worth his keep. And as I already said, these are specific instructions for this first time the 12 is going out with the message of the kingdom of God. And it's going to be a relatively short trip, located all in the region of Galilee. Uh, like, remember Jesus said, hey, you're not to go to Samaria. You can't go down there. You know, he's in Capernaum with them right now. Uh, you can't go to the Gentiles or Samaria. So they're going to be going in this area right here. It's going to be a relatively short trip. He says, don't take any money. Don't take a bag. And that's probably a bag you would carry food, right? So you can't take any, no trail mix with you, right? And you can't take any of that stuff with you. Uh, don't take an extra shirt, sandals, or a staff. And interestingly, that, uh, that word for extra shirt actually is the Greek word two, and then the word that means undergarment, right? So, hey, don't take two pairs of underwear, right? You know, because you know, you're not going to be staying long, right? Uh, yeah, just, I'm just telling you what it says. Maybe they cleaned it up a bit. It's not a shirt. It's an undergarment. It says, it's a garment that touches the skin. I will call that underwear. That's, the, that's what the word means. Anyhow, all right. So is Jesus saying that we're never to plan to prepare? We're going out for him? Like if you're going on a mission trip, is Jesus saying, I don't want you to fundraise. I don't want you to pack. I don't want you to get a passport or airline ticket. Just show up at the airport. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not saying that. In fact, in Luke 22, in the upper room, Jesus tells his guys to prepare and get stuff. Luke 22, 35 and 36. Here's what Jesus says to his guys. When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. But now, if you have a purse, take it. And also a bag. You need some food. Grab that trail mix. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. But here in Matthew 10, Jesus says, hey, don't take any extra stuff with you. Why? Because 
Jesus knows that it's essential for them on this initial mission trip to make trusting in God's provision the foundation of their going out for him. You see, Jesus did not want them to put their trust in other things and and things that they could gather by themselves. He wanted them to depend on him and then watch him show up. I've always loved this psalm, Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses. What are your version of chariots and horses? But we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And listen, throughout Scripture, we see this idea of trusting in God's provision showing up again and again. In Genesis 12, God says to a 75-year-old guy named Abraham, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Genesis 12, 1. Where are we going? How long will it take? What do I need to take with me? Abram, just go. I got you. I'll show you. Trust me. In Exodus 4, when, when Moses is freaking out about going before Pharaoh, uh, Lord, I, I'm terrible at speaking. I'm slow of tongue and speech, guy. <laughs> That's what slow of speech is, right? No? Okay, sorry. That was for me. No one else. And God says, who gave man his mouth? Is it I, I, the Lord? Now go, I got you, trust me, I'll be with you. I will speak and teach you what to say. Throughout the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, 12,000 plus days, God rained down manna from heaven to teach the people to trust in his provision. In Matthew 28, when they're told to go make disciples of all nations, what does Jesus say? Hey, and don't forget that I am going with you wherever you go. And here in Matthew 10, Jesus says, go, don't take a bunch of stuff with you because I want you to put your trust in me. I understand when, when God calls you and I to share the gospel with someone, we need to just go. Think about your one. Just go. He's got you. He'll help you. Trust in him. He will provide, right? Because He wants that person saved more than you do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know this one, right? And, and when you're getting ready to go, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So don't take a bunch of stuff with you. And he continues, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their home until you leave. Now, by worthy person, I think he means look for someone who is willing to provide a place to stay and who is also open to the message that you're bringing. And he says, hey, once you find that place, stay there. Don't leave that house until you leave town. Now, why would he say that? I think for a lot of reasons, because these guys would be pretty popular. It would be kind of a competition, like who could have them? Or they could be tempted also, right? They say, they're in this house here, it's only, it doesn't have a, a pool, doesn't have a hot tub, and, and then someone, he's speaking, hey, guess what? Hey, where are you, you're sitting at our house. Hey, well, yeah, we got room in ours. We got a guest house, we got a pool and a hot tub. And they'd be like, hey, you know what? And they would be tempted. He says, hey, just stay where you are. 
Focus on the message. Focus on what you're doing. Don't jump from house to house. Just stay where you are. All right, so we're to trust in God's provision. And we can expect to experience both acceptance and rejection. He writes, as you enter the home, give it your greeting. And this is more than simply hello, right? You know, more than simply how you're doing. Hey, next time you go to a grocery store and someone asks how you're doing, tell them. Because <laughs> they don't really care, right? They're just saying hi. That's their, that, that just means hi. But next time I go, oh, I'm glad you asked. I, I really had a rough week this week. You know, I got stuff going on. My car's in the shop. Yeah, just see how that goes for you, right? Try that. Well, I thought you asked me how I'm doing. I guess you didn't mean it. Anyway, that could be fun, maybe. Um, but, but what Jesus is talking about, this would be like the traditional greeting that Jews did in that time where they would say, the Hebrew word shalom. And that was a wish for a person's wholeness. Their physical, emotional, social, and spiritual wholeness. If that home, if, if the people living in that home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. Now, again, if they're open to the message, let your peace rest on it. Listen, it's a great and joyous thing when someone receives and accepts the message. To repent for the kingdom is at hand. On our day, to, it's a great and joyous thing when someone hears the message, believes the message, and repents and is baptized for forgiveness of their sins. It's a joyous thing. However, he continues, if it is not, if it's not deserving, if they do not accept the message, then let your peace return to you. Because how Maple Grove can there be peace and spiritual wholeness if they reject the message of the kingdom? Right? There can't be. And next, Jesus says, and, and listen, we all need to lean in here because our commander has some specific instructions whenever someone rejects the message that we're sharing. He says, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. And what's he talking about? Shake the dust off your feet. Now, we, sometimes we use this as a Christianese term, right? You know, you're mad at somebody. I had a friend who was got burned by a church, and when he left the parking lot for the last time, he's like, yeah, I'm dusting my feet, right? Well, what the Jewish people believed and were taught, not by God, was that the little dirt in Gentile areas was unholy. And, and so when you left the Gentile area and returned back to Israel, if you didn't want to bring that defilement back to you, you would literally shake the dust off your feet or else your home and land became unholy. And that was the Jewish mindset. That was the mindset of the 12. You need to leave that stuff behind. Don't bring that defilement with you. Don't bring it any further. Walk away from it. Ultimately, it became an expression of forgetfulness. Kind of like we might say, hey, I'm done and um, I'm moving on. And keep leaning in. There's two important insights for us in Jesus telling them this. Insights as to what God expects of us, his sent out ones right? And sharing the message. Number one, we are not to badger people with the message. The word badger means to harass or urge persistently, pester or nag. I had to badger him into coming with us. Understand, when it comes to sharing the gospel, our faith, we are not to harass we're not to pester, and we're not to nag. Instead, we're to come with a simple and clear message. Hey, hey, this is who Jesus is. The Messiah, God the Son, 
the Alpha and Omega, the King of Kings. And this is what Jesus did. He, he put on flesh. He lived a perfect life. He died for their sin. And this is what Jesus wants. He, he wants to reconcile them to himself. He wants to replace their false, temporary, and fear satisfaction with the inexpressible joy and living hope that's found in the kingdom in which they were created to thrive. We're to share the simple gospel and clear message that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and he rose again so that they could be forgiven, made whole, and live the life they're created to live. That's the gospel. But listen, here's the deal. When the person to whom you are presenting the gospel literally says or demonstrates by their response and actions, I'm not interested. Get away from me with this stuff. I don't believe it. I do not want to hear it anymore. Now listen carefully here, Maple Grove. Whenever that happens, the commander is saying, don't badger them, don't harp on them. The judge is saying, I will deal with them. And the doctor is saying, I want you to be well. So you need to move it on down the road. Like, I don't want this to keep discouraging you and tearing you up. I don't want their rejection to rob you of your joy. You hear what I'm saying? The commander is saying, don't badger them. The judge is telling you, I'm going to deal with them. And the doctor is saying, man, I want you to be well. So you need to move on. You need to leave that rejection behind you. You need to shake that rejection off your feet. Don't bring that rejection with you. Walk away from it. Because I have so many more people who are wanting to hear it and receptive to it. And why are these instructions so important? Because one of the problems when it comes to sharing our faith is that we remember rejection all too well, don't we? And listen, here's the deal. Here's why it becomes a huge problem for us. If we're not careful, if we're not mindful, we can allow the rejection by someone in the past to keep us from operating as the sent ones in the present. If we're not careful, mindful, we can allow the rejections of the past. Uh, they didn't accept the message. They didn't listen. They didn't respond to keep us from operating as the sent ones in the present. I mean, if it's true that one of our greatest fear and certain faith is rejection, and, and what do we do when we're afraid? We tend to run in the opposite direction. I'm afraid if I share, I'll be rejected. Therefore, I will run away from sharing. Get it? Good. Again, he's saying, hey, dust off your feet. He's not saying never talk to them again. He's saying, hey, don't let that rejection bring you down. Don't badger them. Your job is not to badger them. The second thing is you are not responsible for results. Are you hearing me? You're not responsible for results. Like it's not your deal to get anyone else to sign on the dotted line. It's not. Understand, that burden belongs to them and to the Lord alone. You are not responsible for results. You're only responsible to be faithful. 
Uh, understand, your heavenly rewards are not dependent upon results. Your heavenly rewards are dependent upon your faithfulness. Yeah, you heard me right. You're not responsible for results. However, you are responsible to be faithful. You are responsible, and I'm responsible, to try, to make an attempt. Listen, when it goes bad, and sometimes will, and they refuse to accept and receive the message, the divine physician is saying, I want you to stay well. Doctor's orders. So when you're met with rejection, shake the dust off your feet, move on down the road, and forget that rejection. Get it? Good. Are you with me? That's what the text is saying. You leave that individual in the hands of the righteous judge. Listen, that's not a suggestion. It's a command. To, to, to shake that rejection off your feet. It's a command for your peace. It's a command for your well-being. It's a command for your rest. It's a command for you and I being able to go out and reach other people. We're trusting God's provision. We're to expect to experience both acceptance and rejection. And we need to always keep in mind the high cost of rejecting the message. Truly I tell you, and that phrase happens like maybe 70, 80 times in Scripture. Jesus said, hey, you know, I'm really, you know, like he's always telling the truth, but he's like putting emphasis. Now, I'm telling you something really, really important. You need to pay attention. Don't doubt this. It's true. He says, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. The people in the town, right? You know, the towns are inanimate objects. For those people, who, who, who won't receive the message, who won't accept the message. It's, it's more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than them. Now we read about Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter 19. Ever heard of the place? If, if you were around in Genesis 18, would you move there? <laughs> Probably not. Two wicked cities, right? I mean, they're so wicked, right? In chapter 18, when Abraham's trying to get God to spare the city, God, God says, hey, what if there's 50 people? And everyone goes, oh, gosh, I, I was there last week. Hey, what if there's 45? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? Hey, what if there's 10 good people? There weren't even 10 good people in that whole town. Matter of fact, when God's messengers came into town, the town was so wicked that when these men came into town and were staying at Lot's house, the entire town, all the men, young and old, surrounded that house. And said, where are those men? We want to have sex with them. Listen, without scripture, Sodom and Gomorrah became synonymous with sin and depravity. And their destruction was the epitome. Hey, you want to know what God's judgment looks like? Here's a picture. If there's a line at the day of judgment, and here's a line. You look at, they got a little, someone's holding the board inside. This is the Sodom and Gomorrah line. Like, would you get in that line? Yeah, that's the line I want to get in. I don't think we would. And yet he's saying here, Jesus is saying, hey, it's more bearable. He's saying that if someone has opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to hear, they hear the message and they continue to reject it. 
A much greater message than Sodom and Gomorrah ever heard. They reject the gospel again and again and again and refuse Jesus. They will find themselves in a worse place at the day of judgment than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Heavy, right? I don't have time to get into it, but Scripture teaches that there are degrees of punishments in hell and degrees of rewards in heaven, right? And this clearly is one of the places that's teaching it. Second Peter said this, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and make them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. Jude 7, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual morality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. A guy named J.C. Ryle in 1856 in his commentary wrote this. It is a most dangerous thing to neglect offers of the gospel. It shall prove more intolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for those who have heard Christ's truth and not received it. This is a doctrine fearfully overlooked and one that deserves serious consideration. Men are sadly apt to forget that it does not require great open sins to be condemned in order to ruin a soul forever. They only have to go on hearing without believing, listening without repenting, going to church without going to Christ. And by and by they will find themselves going to hell. To hear that great salvation and yet neglect it is one of the worst sins man can commit. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it's more bearable for Solomon and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Yeah, I feel you. <laughs> what a heavy way for Jesus to end those initial instructions to the twelve. And, and listen, I, I think Jesus ends this way for, for two reasons. Number one, to underscore the serious business of being sent out. Like, like, this is weighty stuff. This is forever stuff. It, this is whether people spend forever enjoying heaven or spend forever suffering in hell. And, and I know it's not fun to think about it. And think about people you know and love facing eternal damnation, but it's true. Like for a minute, just, let me just say this. I, I didn't write the Bible. <laughs> you know, God's word is true, right? You know, I'd make it a whole lot easier if I wrote the thing in some ways. Right? But the Bible teaches that hell is, just picture what hell is like. And it's forever. Utter darkness. Unquenchable fire the weeping and gnashing of teeth, a bottomless pit, suffering. Now picture your one, that family member, that friend, that neighbor, spending forever there. It's horrible. I don't want Paul to be there. You don't want that family, you don't want that friend you know what that person you have coffee with, you work with? You, is that where we want them to be forever? 
Either the Bible's true or it's not, and the Bible is true. And so Jesus says, hey, I'm going to end this way because this is serious. I'm sending you out, and this is serious, weighty stuff. It's the most weighty stuff. It's, it's the biggest deal in your entire life. Life here is short. Life there is eternal. And so he says, hey, it's a big deal. And also I think he, he, he ends this way with shaking the dust off your feet and reminding us So we won't be so fearful of being sent out. Uh, uh, you know, that's probably that, you know, the, the most spoken command of the Bible is do not what? Be afraid. Number two is trust in me. In our text, Jesus is saying, don't take on more than God is expecting of you. Again, God is very clear about that. You are not on the hook for results. That's good. But you are on the hook to be faithful. So listen, I'm going to say this twice. So you have nothing to be afraid of, only joy to miss out on. So you have nothing to be afraid of, but only joy to miss out on. The joy of seeing a loved one, a friend, a co-worker, a family member come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? And nothing to be afraid, only joy to miss out on. Man, there's no greater joy, is there? Man, think about the one you're praying for, that person you love so much and you want to see Jesus. Can you think of any greater joy than seeing them coming to Jesus? Any greater joy than knowing you're going to spend forever in heaven with them? And so he said, hey, nothing to be afraid of. But it's only joy to miss out on if you don't even take the chance. Now, now I, I think I, I kind of crossed the line into pestering and nagging with my mom and dad. <laughs> no, I did cross the line with pestering and nagging because my mom testified on a Sunday night at church that I did. <laughs> she said on a Sunday night, Stephen, you are a real pain in the AWSS. She said right in church. That's my mom. You take, you could take your mom out of Baltimore Street, but you can't take Baltimore Street out of your mom, you know. And, and, and so that's what mom said, you know. Um, um, and, and so I, I, I think I kind of crossed the line because so, someone else got the joy of seeing them come to Christ. But, you know, man, I'm so glad they are. Man, I, I, I wouldn't want to go to heaven without my mom and dad being there. And I'm sure you have people you care about. God, even people you don't even like, you know. You know, and, and, and we have the opportunity. And God said, hey, trust me. I don't know what to say. What do I do? I'm not smart enough. What if they ask questions I can't answer? Just go and trust God. He'll help you. He'll help you. Just go and trust God. And, and, and know that, hey, some are going to accept it and some are going to reject it. Don't wear that rejection. And just keep in mind, serious business, Right? And keep in mind the joy that we're missing out on when we don't take the risk. Amen? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, thank you for, we don't know how many people are involved in bringing us to know you. The people that shared with us, the people that shared with them, the line goes on and on and on and on and on. Back to these 12 guys. <laughs> Somehow it all goes back to them and they're afraid they were newbies. They didn't know what they were doing, but they knew who you were, and they wanted to make you known. And, 
And God, I pray for us individually, Lord. God, we have the greatest message, Lord, of a God who loves people so much that he would send a son to die for them. And so, God, God, help us. Holy Spirit, move in us. God, help us to pray for our ones and look for those opportunities, Lord, to make a difference in their lives. God, no matter what rejects you had in the past, no matter how many times we failed at this in the past, the day is a new day. In Jesus' name, amen.